Welcome to the Serrano Brothers Podcast. We are twin brothers who are pastors in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. We talk about faith, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, culture, and anything else we think is interesting. Thanks for joining. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Serrano Brothers Podcast. Uh, We have a treat today. We have uh, Bishop pre-nominee, the Reverend Clark Brown joining us. Um, Just as a reminder for everybody, the pre-nominees have been, is it voted on like by the conference? They've been chosen by their conference and uplifted. And uh, Pastor Clark has said yes to this. So welcome to the podcast, Pastor Clark. We're so glad that you're you're with us. Um, can, can you tell us where you're serving right now and what conference you're in? Absolutely. So uh, I serve at Trinity Lutheran in Pleasanton, and I am the interim pastor there. So I've been there just over a year and a half. And uh, that's part of the Diablo Conference. Um, So prior to that, I was in Monterey, and that was part of the El Camino Real Conference. So um, I still actually connect with the El Camino Real Conference um, because when I was uh, elected to the Senate Council, I... um, uh, it was from that conference. And, and so, you know, this is a way to maintain connection between them and the Senate Council. So, um, you know, I joke that I have like three deans at this point because I, I, I talk with uh, uh, Christina in El Camino and then John in Diablo and then Cindy back in uh, as a dean of interims. So well, that's cool. Uh, we always think it's it's kind of a good thing to to get to know you a little bit better. So the the, the question that 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 I have for you uh, starting off is like, okay, so give me like a favorite childhood memory that's either inside or outside of the church. What is your one of your favorite childhood memories? Hmm. Well, let's see. How far back do we want to go? Um. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I suppose that um, one that sticks out for me right away is um, right around my fifth birthday. Um, My extended family had a tradition of going camping on the east side of the Sierras. And so um, at that point in time, uh, my immediate family lived in Marin County, but we uh, would travel down and meet the rest of the family there and uh, we had, you know, our camper or trailers and um, just, I don't know, there's something about playing out in the dirt and um, hanging hanging out by the creek and going fishing with my my grandfather. Uh, and, and then I remember since it was my birthday, they managed to bring a cake. But the best thing was that they made ice cream while we're out there. So, you know, oh, yeah. when you're a five-year-old, this is like, you know, the best thing ever. Um so that's one that sticks out for me. I don't know why, but. <laughs> no, that's great that those are like the first thing that came to mind. That's what we're looking for, you know? Uh, so that's that's cool. There's nothing better than that homemade, like when you take it in the can and roll it with the rock salt. And <laughs> there's just nothing better than that. You know, uh, uh, a lot of people don't know like what pastors do, but especially what pastors do in their off time. 
Um, do you have any kind of hobbies or, um, yeah, any hobbies or what are you doing in your off time? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, so for one, I, I do run and I bike and, um, you know, I, I enjoy doing that, but it's also really, I mean, I need to do that for the sake of exercise and, um, you know, especially the running uh, is is really kind of a spiritual practice for me. Um, I, I just uh, I, I take the time to um, try to quiet my brain from all the various worries that are running through it all the time, and just say, okay, um, where am I right now? And uh, you know, connect with God that way. Um, besides that, though, I um, I. Well, I, I do stage acting. That's one of the things that, that I, I do in oh. my spare, spare time. Yeah. Well, that's cool. So, so that, that started a few years ago. Um, once my, my daughter got to the point where she was pretty self-sufficient, then uh, I started uh, with um, musicals down in the Monterey area. And um, then also it's just the um, straight plays, you know, dramas, comedies, that kind of thing. Um and then at some point, I honestly got got a little bit tired of the Monterey scene, and um, I work with a, a voice coach, and you know, just ask him, okay, so what do you think? Uh, should I try something different? And um, he suggested that I audition for an opera chorus, and so uh, at that point, I you know took the took the leap and and auditioned with uh, Opera San Jose. And uh, to my to my shock, they actually cast me that season. So I um, ended up, you know, being in an opera chorus means that you're singing along with the rest of the chorus most of the time. Um, but you are, you know, you're acting on stage. And um, working with a professional company means that the the level of professionalism uh, mm. is just at a higher level. And it's just so that that's just a lot, lot of fun. It it means that. Um, for example, you know, you are responsible for knowing your stuff, but your rehearsal time is less because you you have to take that responsibility. Mm. So that's what I've been doing lately. And uh, I've been doing that probably since 2016. And um, of course, pandemic uh, was a big interruption to that. Um, but I'm currently in a production of Carmen, uh, oh, cool. the festival opera in Walnut Creek. And uh, yeah, if I seem a little tired, it's because this is Tech Week, and uh, we oh, open wow. uh, on Friday. <laughs> so, oh my goodness! Oh. Well, you heard it, folks. You could see Pastor Clark Brown in Carmen this week, or or when is, when does it open? It tomorrow. tomorrow it opens ah. tomorrow. Oh, well, actually, these won't come out in time, Clark, because we're dropping all these on September second. Um, <laughs> it's it, it's a kind of controversial question. But um, what uh, what's your favorite stage show? Huh. yeah, that's tough. it's hard. I know I'm, I'm a theater guy too, <laughs> and and like new old, you know. Uh, but what came to mind yeah. like at first? Okay, so the um the best production I've been in and um that I enjoyed in terms of the musical category was Young Frankenstein. Oh, cool. Yeah. And in, in Young Frankenstein, I was the monster. You know, I got to uh, wear six inch lifts. So you can imagine I was you know on stage like six foot seven. And uh, wow. 
you, know, you get you get it used to kind of looking down at people <laughs> pretty pretty quickly. <laughs> it, it's yeah, but that, that's that, cool. was, that was that was a lot of fun. And of course, that's I, I, if you're familiar with it, it's just a great show. That's awesome. Do they do the putting on the Ritz number? Absolutely. Uh, it's uh, such a great it's a, such a great movie in general too. Uh, uh, you you know you said um, that you consider running like a spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any other like spiritual practices that you like cling to? Yeah, I, and I, it was it has varied over the years. Um, so you know, at, at times um, it's been more of a regular use of like the daily offices prayers, you know, like um, morning prayer, vespers, uh, Compline. Um, Compline is the, is probably the one that I return to most frequently. Mm, um, nice. And um, I, I, I do try to engage in contemplative prayer, you know, ideally uh, starting earlier in the day with a uh, you know, time of, of silence and, and contemplation. Um, I, you know, honestly, that's not something that is uh, really as solid as I would like. Hmm. You know, I, it's, uh, you know, honestly, it, it's it's hard to maintain that commitment. I'm, you know, it's just not really uh, embedded in me as a habit. Um, but it's, you know, something that I, I do and uh, think it's um, really, obviously really helpful in terms of remaining centered and um yeah just being connected to god and and you know knowing knowing yourself being as a a beloved person and uh living out of that um that's just really essential to our call yeah that's i think that's really uh I, i think it's really cool that you said that uh that it's not like it seems like sometimes i know with my own spirituality that like uh I go through like seasons of spiritual disciplines, you know, like sometimes the silence really works for me. Sometimes it doesn't work for me, you know, and, and so I'll have to do something out, something else for another season, you know, and, and it just, I think over the years, it, I've, I've learned to kind of trust that a little bit and just go like, okay, I'm done with this thing right now. Uh, let's move on to something else, you know? So I, I appreciate you saying that, uh, uh, and as a for our for our listeners um who who may not know what vespers or compline or some of those words mean um the christian church and its history has had certain specific times throughout the day in which there are set prayers and um and vespers and complines are names for vespers is the night prayer compline well vesper is the like early evening prayer evening. compline is like the night prayer um and and so yeah um, clark we all know we all know that um that ministry has ups and downs like like there there are huge successes and failures that we have can you tell us about a success in your ministry that that when things are kind of rough that you go yeah, I did. You know, we we accomplished that. Uh, yeah. Well, um, let me let me give it. You know, a couple of different things, I suppose. Uh, so going back a ways, uh, in uh, many years ago now, in in Monterey, there there was a 
when I when I got there, that the, the congregation had not really changed much in their sanctuary for a long time, and things were worn out, you know. So you we do have to go through those time periods of of updating, right? Um, but you know, uh, I would I looked at this as something that we had to be patient about, and we 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 needed to have some consensus as to what that was going to be when when we made those changes. Um, so I, again, I joke that some sometimes the hardest thing for a pastor to do is to change the color of the carpet, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, it, pe people will, will will go to the mat for this, you know, the carpet has always been red, and we will keep it red, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but um, after, you know, lots of discussion and conversations about, including how does what how we appear and also uh, say something about what who we're welcoming right mm. um you know are we locked into a, a past all right for the sake of ourselves or are we willing to change and so after you know time period of conversation uh we engaged in that you know eventually the the, the change the, the actual renovation is you know maybe um a month or two in the life of the congregation. The conversations leading up to that uh, was a much longer period of time, and uh, that was that was really truly effective. I mean, it, it it changed the worship space, not just in appearance, but also making it a much more musical space where people wanted to come and sing together, and uh, even outside groups wanted to come and perform there. So uh, that's. You know that, that that's a good good endpoint, right? You know, nice nice thing to say. Yeah, I helped do that. Um, more recently, I think um, the the work as an interim pastor has been uh, very rewarding. So it's been a process of leading the congregation through you know a number of you know tan tangible things to get to a point where they can name uh, these are our values, right? And this is how we're going to act on them to go forward, um, making some priorities as to what's the most important and going from there. And of course, most of that, because I'm the interim, most of that's going to be uh, taken up by the next pastor. Uh, but but anyway, that that's just, it was... Um, I guess it exceeded my expectations in terms of of how successful that was. Um, That's cool. You know, especially uh, you know the process of of simply going out and interviewing with um, community leaders and asking them, "Wait, hey, what's what's going on in our community? Uh, what are the needs?" And uh, the, the the information that our, my team got back was um just completely eye-opening they were blown away and that really you know can set the direction for the church and you know they can refine that as they go forward and uh yeah when you when you met with the community leaders like who like what kind of community leaders did you meet with so someone in you know like city government um okay. uh school leader like principal or or, or superintendent but I mean, honestly, uh, you know, principal uh, is really good because they're they're closer to to kids. 
Um, folks from the police department. Nice. Um, other clergy. And um, yeah, you can you know you can just make a make a list like that of, of people that would be good to talk with. But th those are the, the people that we we spoke with. That's yeah. cool. That's awesome. Do you, um, so there's like these three expressions of church, right? Uh, we, in the ELCA, we have three expressions of church. We have churchwide, we have the synod office and uh, we have the synod and then we have the local congregation, right? Um, what, like, what do you think the primary function of the synod office is? How would you describe the primary functions of the synod office? So the synod office has is primarily I think a connecting kind of role. So uh, the Senate office obviously is relating between uh, congregations and ideally helping congregations connect to each other. They mm -hmm. also are relating between congregations and churchwide. They do you know the Senate office has a more direct link between congregations and churchwide than congregations directly to churchwide. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that, that really is the primary overall function. It's so much of what the Senate office does, that is like the, you know, bishop and assistance to bishop, uh, you know, they're, they're handling a lot of the administrative uh, details to make that happen. Um, there are just, just a lot of expectations there that, that, you know, that administration is handled efficiently. Um, and so that gets involved with like some of the most important things are candidacy uh, for people who are being brought onto one of the rosters of the ELCA um, and also call processes. And that's where congregations get, uh, you know, see the Senate, Senate most actively, I suppose. And it's where there can be uh, hmm, some consternation, right? About, you know, whether that's being handled well. Oh. Uh, I think that we've, we're, we're seeing that right now that there's been some frustration for some call processes. Part of that is our um, synod staffing um, in terms of just not having enough staff. But uh, some of that also has been the pandemic, frankly. You know, it's just made it very difficult many pastors just don't want to move. Um, mm. You know, the pandemic has made, create a lot of uncertainty. Um, and then furthermore, of course, we have expense in the, in the, uh, a lot, many sections of our synod. It's very expensive to live here. And so, you know, where at one time, maybe pastors really wanted to come to California. Uh, now, maybe not so much, you know, if it means that they can uh, afford a house, you know, living somewhere else, then, you know, that that's very appealing. So. That's, a, that's a direct thing that's happening here. And oh, I live in San Carlos, uh, and there's just a house right down the street from the parsonage that I live in. Uh, it's a very similar house. They're they're renting it out for five, $6,000 a month. Uh, and so for pastors, that's all that's not possible, right? Uh, uh, unless you have a spouse that's, you know, independently wealthy or or in in tech or something like that, you know, it's very hard for, it would be very hard for my congregation to, 
survive if it didn't have a parsonage. And so I, I really identify with what you're saying mm-hmm. around that. I think that's a real issue in our synod. It's um, huge. Yeah. yeah. Does, does, um, and I, and what I'm hearing from you too, about like the Senate office in terms of connecting is like one of the huge ways that the Senate office does that is by the, the candidacy process by which, or, or the, sorry, the, the call process by which congregations are connected with pastors and how the Senate sets that up. Um, that's the most direct way. Uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's interesting. Um, that, that's what I'm hearing at least. Does that sound right? No, that's, that's true. I think that's where most congregations see the synod most actively. Hey, Clark, so you were talking about the synod office, uh, that there's more that they could do to connect um, with uh, congregations. Uh, and and can you, can you say more about that, what it is you think that they can do? Sure. Yeah, I, so I think that there's a, a huge need among our congregations for uh, resources in terms of how we can pursue our mission. You know, so most of the mission in the Synod is gonna happen on the ground in congregations. Yeah. And so we uh, need some new ideas, right? We need need to have some, uh, some tools, right? That uh, congregations can put into place to um, do ministry in our ever-changing world. Yeah. Uh, so, that can happen through discipling teams or other kinds of teams, uh, just offering events that offer some training. Of course, we've done this in the past. Um, I, I just think I think it's a good practice for us to continue this and to stay focused on, uh, you know, doing this, do, completing our mission, yeah. because Do-, it's it's just uh, it. it, it can't be said enough. We the world is changed, right? And so our churches really need to approach things differently. That's, I, I think that, yeah, I think that's really great that you're saying that. Just, just for the lay people, what, what what's a discipling team in our synod? Sure. Uh, so we have in our synod created these committees that we've called discipling teams, and most of our discipling teams um, right now aren't truly active. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's evolved over the years. So at one point in time, we had only three discipling teams, and I think now we have seven. Um, but ever since the point in time where we had seven, they haven't been really fully staffed. And they get filled by uh, by pastors and lay people, all of them. Uh, and they, they have various tasks assigned to them. Some of them are focusing on worship. Some are focusing on... Um, racism and uh you know things around ethnic ministry we have a witness team which is uh, the primary team connecting with uh, new mission starts and we have a leadership team which is focused on our rostered leadership primarily and meeting those needs so your your kind of idea is to kind of repopulate this and as a way of connecting the synod, especially around issues around living in the church or being the church in the 21st century. That's kind of, that's what I'm hearing you say. Is that, yeah. uh, that fair? You you know, it's interesting because the very next question that we have, uh, uh, right. uh, go Jerry. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so your paperwork, you know, and, and what you filled out, or at least what what we can see online, right? It says, um, you, you say, um, many of our congregations are facing difficult decisions, holy closures, collaborative ministry, reduced staff hours. And you say, I would like the Synod to be more proactive in providing resources, training, events to help address the decline. Um, how would you go about doing that? Okay, so some of that I've, I've addressed. In, in right. terms of using uh, discipling teams, uh, <clears throat> I guess what I have in mind also is that the the people who would be on synod staff, and the, the bishop as well as um, the assistants to the bishop, would um, focus some of their attention on uh, discerning what's, what things the those resources should be you know, what what tools should we offer and so they would help facilitate our existing teams and you know develop um, training resources for congregations um, develop uh, ways that congregations can get into uh, groups with each other uh, and learn from each other the other thing is that we do have leaders and congregations in the synod that are moving forward right that they're they're doing things that are effective and generally we we just don't know right i mean sitting in each of our congregations we don't know what um you know saint john's by the 7-eleven is doing that's working we just don't and and so uh, part of that connection, connecting function of the synod would be to, you know, find out what's working in one place or another and and ask those congregations to share, right? And to to be uh, a training resource for other congregations. Um, I, so I wonder if if you know, um if the Synod office could help in such a way to, to help localized churches see each other as extensions of each other's ministry rather than any kind of competition. Um, Cause I'm a big, like, like I, that's what I'm working on with uh, St. Matthew down the street in Walnut Creek. I'm in Concord is that's what we're trying to do is, is really, see each other as extensions of each other's ministry. But that kind of started from me and from Rustin, Pastor Rustin, down at St. Matthew. How much do you think this it's the synod office versus kind of grassroots movements from congregations? I think it can be both. Yeah. You know, so um, I'm in the same conference as as you jeremy so that um i've had the opportunity to meet rustin and um and work with him some because he's uh he's chair of the bishop election committee but i've also just taken the opportunity to ask him questions about you know well what are you doing you know and um that that has been really insightful i i and i think that uh, so I think that, of course, that can happen 
between us, right, one-on-one. Unfortunately, I'm not sure that it does very often, at least not to the extent that it that it could. Um, again, so when I was in Monterey, uh, I was there for a long time. And, and over those years, I repeatedly had um, conversations with another local congregation. And we did work together for m- many of those years, but it, it was always kind of limited. And I think part of that is that congregations get very attached to each other, right? As well as to their building and all that. And and so as soon as we start talking about doing things ministry together, it gets kind of scary. I think people automatically see as, well, no, this is our church. And mm-hmm. and so we're gonna hold on to that until the bitter mm-hmm. end. Um so it's tough to overcome that. And I, th- I think it, all, all we can really do is have those honest conversations to say, you know, something's got to give. We have to have some change here because um, too many of our congregations at this point are, um, are just really tiny. And, um, you know, they get, get to a point where it's just Sunday worship, right? And... Right. There's no ministry going going beyond that. Um, that w- we we can do a lot more, I think, if we have these collaborations. Um, at that point, you know, then you can say, well, we have we have money for a pastor, but we also have additional resources where we can have a youth minister, or we can have someone who's re- relating directly to the community in some other ways, and you know just expands things um so it it's um it's a difficult issue to, to overcome yeah but i think that's, I, but, yeah that's what I, what, I, what i think we need to work towards yeah I, I i like that a lot uh uh it i think that brings like to the next thing which is like you know as a synod we kind of need to have a plan as a synod like like uh and and so i guess the my question for you is like how not what would your strategic plan be, but how would you go about developing a strategic plan? Hmm. Okay, that's yeah, that that's a that's a big one. How are you going to go about developing a strategic plan? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I guess I guess the the um, the place to start would be to have. Um, a, a way to for for conversations, maybe within our conversa- uh, con- conferences, um, to have these a, a, a sense about um, what other wh- where other people think we need to focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, gathering information, I guess, is is my my go to most of the time uh, to you know. Start there. Um, if we if we gather some information about about that and about what we can uh, agree to, <laughs> uh, we uh, another team could could essentially focus on on just that. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, again, I guess that is connected in my mind with where we find ourselves in terms of having so many congregations that are right right there on the edge 
Um, and, you know, I think we do not have a consensus as to how to deal with that. You know, do we actively encourage congregations to merge? Do we actively encourage them to sell property or to keep it? Are we going to try to keep all, all the property so that we have an opportunity for future ministry? Um, or are we going to use those resources uh, to strengthen, you know, the ministries that are in a healthier state? Um, but I don't think we have consensus on that. And I, I hear a, a lot of different points of view, but, um, you know, th that, that's where I would want to build some consensus, um, and, and then try to tackle that. Yeah. So I, I know for me, Clark, I would need to be convinced that it's a good thing to sell property and especially, I mean, if anywhere else I would, I would, uh, um, I might just, you know, I might have another view, but I feel like in the Bay area, the one thing that we want to just hold on to is property, even if the Senate holds on to it, maybe to convert into housing or, you know, kind of to leverage our property for um, uh, financial stability. Um, but that's just where I'm at. But and, and I I know we sat around at tables at the roster leader gathering and other people had other kinds of views on that about, you know, selling them, taking the money and then using the money itself. But, you know, that's all. Uh, um yeah, I can see so, both sides of the of, of that that discussion, right? Or, or multiple sides, really. And um, yeah, it, it would be helpful to have some open conversations about that. Yeah. Um, and you know, maybe it would happen on a case by case basis, right? Of course, in, in terms of deciding how would we proceed. One one of the issues is. Uh, one of the conversations, I would just say, at, in the Senate Council level, is that managing property is not something that the Synod does well right now. That that's that's something that has been said very openly, mm -hmm. um, and so that that's another complication. Um, we probably don't want to just hold property as it is, uh, because we, you know basically that we would probably need a full-time staff person to just oversee property. I think some Senate offices do actually have someone who does that work. That is just their job. Yeah, um, yeah I don't know if we necessarily want to do that. If that's the, the best use of resources also. Hmm. So. Yeah, part of the job, I think, of is, is just like uh, when you become a pastor, you learn a whole lot by just doing the ministry i think part of being bishop is you're going you have to learn about what it what the job really is when you're doing it right <laughs> and and they take you to schools and all that other kind of stuff right for that yeah. uh, josh i think we did number 9 already yeah yeah so yeah. so um what kind of of gifts do you think that you would need to surround yourself with on synod staff to complement um who you are or as as a as a leader well the first thing that comes to mind is to have someone who is uh, one of these people who comes very naturally for them to be a connector connector 
mm. you know um just they uh form the relationships easily um i'm not saying that i can't do that but i also know myself that um it, it would i would benefit from having someone on staff that that was their their forte mm -hmm. um so besides that um the people on on staff uh, are also almost by definition going to have to be doing this administrative kind of work right whether they're involved with call processes or candidacy or uh whatever else mm -hmm. um that's just a basic skill i think for the whole staff and um yeah so yeah, I, I guess that that's a given in my in my mind. Yeah. Um, let me think if there's any, something else that I can name that would be particularly helpful. Um, <clears throat> hmm. Yeah, I, I guess you know. The thing that really pops out for me is is just that that thing about making connections. So. Yeah, we had on staff. Uh, well, the bishop had on staff uh, uh, the communications person who was full time, Catherine um, uh, Slayball, uh, and and I I thought she did a really great job of of like connecting congregations together, even though her job was communications, and I think it was I think her job was called communications and connections, but I'm not totally. I'm not totally sure, uh, but that seems like a really great role for somebody on for to have as a role on synod staff is is to have a person who's dedicated to that kind of communication and connections, and not just making it a part time thing, like a real dedicated thing. Uh, right. So that's that you name that I think is important because I thought we saw how well it went when when that position was in place. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. And I, I guess I should, should clarify that there's, there's, uh, um, there's two things. Well, one is that, that uh, very deliberate outward communication piece, which is part of a job description. The other, other thing is that I'm also thinking about the, the more intangible kinds of ways that people are just, um, it, it's a personality thing, you know, uh, that some, some people are just, um, it, they excel at making those connections you know you have uh as as pastors you may think of someone in your congregation who just seems to know everybody right mm -hmm. they walk down the street and they're greeted by five different people it's it's uh, those, those kinds of folks um the other thing i would add is is just to say that the the staff needs to be made up of a variety of people right <laughs> We, we want we want to um, maintain diversity in our Senate. That's something that we are striving towards and it has been a consistent goal for us. It's been tough for us at the same time. Yeah. So, um, so that's, of course, I guess I almost take it as a given that that's uh, front of mind for me. Yeah, thanks for naming that. I appreciate it. Um, Absolutely. I, I appreciate it. Uh, you, kind of uh, before... Um, 
we think that you know one of the most important times uh, for a bishop to be present uh, and show the connectedness of the synod office is like when um, sometimes churches are in conflict, whether they're councils fighting with each other or pastors and councils not getting along. Um, uh, what do you think your like conflict resolution style is um, when you, when you enter those kinds of spaces? I am a, a calm person, calm presence, especially in face of conflict. I um, have had to, unfortunately, have had to deal with this, you know, and I think that uh, the last few years being on Synod Council has just, frankly, um, sharpened those skills. And um, so... For me, the important piece is to come and have the clear communication to, uh, of course, listen to people. If, if I, I'm asked to, to come in and um, engage in conflict, I, I want to listen to to everyone and try to facilitate their, their communication with each other. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have a need to take sides or, or necessarily win an argument. You know, um, and so, I mean, as soon as I enter in that situation, those kinds of situations, you know, I, I do put on a professional hat of simply saying it's time for my ego to be put to the side. Right. And, and just, you know, consciously do that. So, um, so yeah, go ahead. Uh, so, so, um, um that's a was a great answer um is there anything um we as you were coming into this podcast that you wish like that you were hoping we would ask you um well i not necessarily i guess i would say that the one thing that um i i think I kind of uh, assumed we, we would talk about is a question about, you know, what's what's the reason for putting your name forward or letting your name go forward uh, for the office? And so I would say that for that, that, you know, I, I want to serve the Senate because I care for the church and uh, I care about how our health, how we connect to each other. And I want us to try to heal from all the challenges that we've been through. Um, I, I feel a certain amount of responsibility, whether that's warranted or not, um, because being on Synod Council, um, I've seen kind of the center of a lot of our conflict. And um, so, you know, I, I, I certainly, when I when was asked if I would allow my name to go forward, I felt that sense of, yeah, I should do this. Um, I also would say that I, I believe that I have the, the gifts for this position. And, and part of what I mean by that is that I, I think that I would enjoy these parts of, of being bishop. 
Now, that's not to say that I have um, an impression that it's going to be easy uh, or that, you know, there are not going to be times when it's just really difficult because I, I think it's going to be extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, whoever ends up being elected bishop is going to, to face, um, you know, heartache and some very difficult times and, you know, potentially ongoing conflict in our, in our synod broadly. Uh, so, so, so that all goes into it. And, and I think that, you know, the last thing I would want to say though, is that I really do care for the synod and I'm at, you know, this point in my life where I, I can say, if I'm not elected, you know, this is not going to be the end of my life. Right. I, you know, and, and so it's, it's important. It's important to just to say that it, it is, uh, it's not defining for me. Right. Um, I look forward to being, you know, beyond the, the Senate assembly and beyond the election and then um, being able to just, you know, focus on what's next, whether that's to continue being a pastor uh, or or whatever, you know, comes next. Um, so. Thank you for saying that. Uh, and thank you for, for answering all these questions. We, at the very end here, we do these like uh, 10 kind of rapid fire questions. And so just whatever comes uh, to you, the first thing that comes to you, just say it, okay? All right, okay. question number one. Which food could you eat every day? Ice cream. What's your favorite movie genre? Uh, action. <laughs> nice. Uh, salty, sweet, or, or savory? Uh, savory. In addition to the Bible, which book would you have with you on a deserted island? Oh, gosh. Um, do I even know that? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, let me think. Let me think. It's like the furthest thing from my mind. Okay, we'll pass. We'll go to the next one. Uh, uh, what, what fills your cup? Mm. Mm, yeah, I guess the, the daily exercise. Mm, nice. What depletes your cup? Um, just... Just having too many, too many worries, too many anxieties. Hmm. Uh, what's your favorite holy place? The um, retreat center in San Juan Batista. Oh, cool. Uh, what is one piece of good advice that you have been given? to um, what 
how to breathe. Hmm. What does rest look like for you? Rest is, um, hmm. rest is just getting away on vacation, away from work and home and yeah. Nice. And uh, this is the last question. What do you hope God will say to you when you enter the pearly gates? Uh, welcome home. Everybody, this is the Reverend Clark Brown. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm, I'm so grateful for the conversation. This has been the Serrano Brothers Podcast. Thanks for listening.